You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm not sure if it was just that the text of this miraculous catch of fish and the calling of Peter, James, and John to be pastors in the Holy Apostolic Church was on my mind, but it seemed to me like there were a lot more trucks hauling boats on the road this morning than normal. (laughs) gassing up at the gas station, getting ready to hit the lake. I don't know if you noticed it, but I think they forgot today's text, (laughs) which is a familiar one. Peter, James, and John had fished through the night. They were fishermen, and they had their two boats on the Sea of Galilee, which is called in the text the Lake of Gennesaret, and really it is a lake. It's 15 miles tall and 5 miles across, fresh water, but it's full of fish, at least it was in those days. About 60 miles north of Jerusalem, absolutely beautiful, green and lush, where all the crops were grown. And this is really where Jesus spent most of his time preaching and performing signs and miracles and doing his work. So Peter, James, and John were there. They lived there. They had spent the night fishing, and like normal, they suppose. But they hadn't caught anything that night, so their boats are docked, and they're there on the shore, and they're cleaning their nets and repairing their equipment and putting everything away, and Jesus comes along with a large crowd, with a large crowd pressing in on him. So Jesus sees the opportunity, and he steps into Peter's boat and has Peter push back a little ways from the coast. And as the people were sitting there on the beach, Jesus sits down in the boat, and he teaches the crowds. It's a beautiful picture. And we don't know what Jesus taught. Luke and the other gospel writers who give us this account seem more interested in the ordination of Peter and John and James that's about to happen after the teaching of Jesus. And this is how that goes. After the sermon, Jesus finished teaching, and he turned to Peter, and he says, go to some deep water and put down your net for a haul. Now, I think always preachers like to wonder about what Peter was thinking at this point. Luther guesses at this. Uh, Luther says that Peter was probably thinking, uh, hey, buddy, why don't you do the preaching and leave the fishing to me? (laughs) We don't know what Peter thought, but we know what he says. He says to Jesus, we were preaching all night. (laughs) We were fishing all night. (laughs) We were fishing all night, and we didn't catch anything. But you said it. We'll do it. We'll put down the nets. And they do it with nothing but the word of Jesus. They drop the net into the water. And there's so many fish that Peter has to signal to the shore for James and John to bring out the other boat to help him haul it in. And they get the fish into both boats. And the text says that both boats are sinking because they're so full of fish. And Peter sees this. He'd never seen it before. He knows that Jesus now is a, is a worker of miracles. In fact, he's able to recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh. And he falls down on his knees and he says, Leave me. I'm a sinner. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Peter knows his sin makes him unworthy to stand here in the presence of Jesus. He's unclean, unfit. So he asked that Jesus would leave. But instead of, instead of leaving, or instead of sending Peter away, Jesus does something different. He, in fact, draws Peter closer to himself. He calls Peter to be his disciple. 
and more here. Jesus calls Peter to be a pastor in his church. Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. Peter knew, we know that Peter from that moment forward left his nets, left the fish, left the boats, left it all, and followed Jesus. He became a pastor, a preacher in the Lord's church. But there is a surprise here in the text, and it is this. How does the fear not of Jesus go together with, now you're going to be a pastor? (laughs) It seems like it would make more sense that after Jesus says, fear not, he would say something like, I'm going to leave you alone in a minute. (laughs) Fear not, tomorrow you'll go back to fishing like normal. But Jesus doesn't say that. Fear not. From now on, you're going to be with me. From now on, you're going to serve the church. From now on, you're going to preach. And you're going to bring people from the kingdom of the devil into my own kingdom. You're going to be a pastor. Now, how do these two things fit together? For most pastors, the day of their ordination is filled with fear, with awe, that the Word of God is is being put in their mouth to preach publicly, that the body and blood of Jesus will be in their hands for the handing out to the Lord's people. This vocation of being a pastor in the Lord's church invites and, I would say, even requires a great deal of fear and trembling, fear of God, and a strong desire to see His will done on earth as it is in heaven. How then does this calling go together with the words of Jesus to Peter, fear not? I'd like to propose an answer. I think this answer is only a partial answer but I will submit it to you for your uh, consideration and critique anyhow. And the answer is this. When Peter transfers, when Peter is transferred by Jesus from fishing to preaching, he is given a vocation with more distinct commands and more sure promises. I'll say that again. When Jesus transfers Peter from fishing to preaching, he gives Peter a vocation with more distinct commands and more sure promises. Now, here's what I mean. When we talk about our life of free will, we talk about this in two distinct ways. We talk about having a free will towards the things below us, but having a bound will towards the things that are above us. The things below us are the things of this life, where we live where we go to school, what we study at school, what we do for a job, who we marry, where we go, where we go on vacation, what we eat for dinner, what clothes we wear, all, you know, all the things that have to do with this day-to-day life. And we see that in regards to these things, God has given us a free will. He lets us make choices. And in fact, often in our own lives, there's a lot of right choices that we can make. Now, I think, I think sometimes, and you've got to tell me if, if you think of things this way as well, because it seems to me like a lot of times we think of our life and God's will for our lives like a, a thin line that the Lord has drawn through history. That it, it, it's from our birth until our death, and the Lord has decided every which turn that's going to be along the way. And, and our job is to try to figure out what line the Lord, Lord has drawn for us and try to walk on that tightrope of a line. 
like the Lord has one job that He wants us to do, one right thing, one purpose in life, or one person that He wants us to marry, or one particular life that He wants us to live, a thing that He wants us to study and do, and, and, that, and that there's only one option as we go through life, but that the Lord has kept it a secret. And He hasn't told us what we're supposed to do. And so all the time we're trying to figure out this secret will of God and live lives according to it. I, I think that's how we picture it. But this is wrong. And even, I, I'll say, even a dangerous way to think about our lives. God's will for your life is this, that you keep His commandments. If we live in Colorado or we live in Canada, if we marry or if we stay single, if we study in college, English, or engineering, these are matters of our own freedom, and the Lord is pleased if we use our wisdom to sort out what we think is best. In whatever station in life we find ourselves, the will of God is that we endeavor to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. But the station in life that we live, the Lord almost always leaves to our own free will. And the rule is this. If it's not a sin, if it's not against God's command, if it's an act of love for God and the neighbor, then it is good and you are free. So we say that we have a free will in the things below us. But things are radically different for the things that are above us. For example, when it comes to believing in God and trusting in His Word, we are not free at all. Remember how we all learned to confess this in the Catechism. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or come to Him. But the Holy Ghost has called me by the Gospel. And this is a confession of the Bible's doctrine of original sin, of the fall, of the bondage of our will. The mind of the flesh does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, nor can it, says St. Paul. 1 Corinthians 2.14 When it comes to the things above us, towards the things of God, our will is bound. We cannot make ourselves believe in God's Word. We cannot, with our own resources, fear and love and trust in God. This fear and love and faith in God is His own work. It's His creation in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10. So, when it comes to God, towards the things above us, our wills are bound. And only the Holy Spirit working through the Word can set us free. But when it comes to our earthly life below us, there is a great deal of freedom. See it? Now, this freedom... In fact, I was talking to one of you a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this very thing, and you said, I wish we weren't so free. I wish the Lord just had one thing for me to do, and then it would be a lot simpler. <laughs> because this freedom that the Lord has given us to live in this life means that there is a great deal of uncertainty. The Lord has commanded us to love, but what that love looks like is going to look different in each circumstance. Uh, the freedom that the Lord has given us is hedged in by His commandments and by His promises, but, but the commands and promises are so broad that they give us all these choices in life, a lot of space to roam. So it is with Peter. He could have fished at night or he could have fished during the day. It's his own choice. He could use the profits from his fishing business to buy another boat or to put a new roof on his house. He's free. 
He could have stayed with his family in Capernaum, or he could have moved to Tiberias, or even taken the risk and gone over to the Mediterranean Sea. He was free in regards to these things. But you see, with the broad kind of room that the Lord gives us in our earthly freedom, we also have a lot of room in the Lord's promises. In other words, it looks like this. Peter does not have any promises that his fishing endeavors would be successful. He could fish all night, and the Lord has not promised him that he would catch anything. Peter could go broke fishing. He could lose his boat, his house, his job. Or he could catch piles of fish and have to hire everyone in the whole of Galilee to sort out the good fish and the bad fish for him. There's just not those specific promises for this earthly life. The Lord has always promised to be with us, to provide us all that we need. But He has not promised us that everything that we do will be wildly successful. The work that we do, the place where we live, the shape of our lives, what we do with our money and time, we're free in these things, but none of us have the promise that all of these endeavors will succeed. We could all do really well. We could lose everything we have. In fact, for every one of us, this earthly life will eventually come to an end and we'll die. But things are a little bit different in the church, in the Lord's kingdom. The constraints are narrower. There's less freedom. The commands of God are tighter. And and the promises are closer at hand. Now, this is how I think at least one of the ways that we should hear the fear not of Jesus to Peter. Because when, when Jesus takes Peter from the fish and puts him in the church, the, the work of his vocation is much clearer and the promises are more certain. Jesus is telling Peter, you're not going to have to figure out what to do. I'm going to tell you. And he tells them, it sounds like this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. Peter doesn't have to figure out how to be a pastor. The Lord tells him how to do it. Peter doesn't have to invent new ways of catching people. The Lord has given the command. And he's also given the promise. Look, says Jesus, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus promises Peter and us, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, we still have some degree of freedom in the life of the church, but we have much clearer instructions about what to do. Pastors don't invent their work. Jesus has invented it already. Preach, teach, Baptize, feed my people, my body, and my blood. That's it. And we in the church do not have to worry if the church will make it. We know the answer. We have God's promise. The church will endure to the end. There will be Christians on the last day when Jesus returns. Now, we don't have the specific promise from Jesus that Hope Lutheran Church will be here when he comes back. 
This building will still be standing or not. Who knows? But we do know without doubt, without any question, that there will be a church, a band of believers who have baptism and the Lord's Supper, law and gospel, the simplicity of Christ, all the way to the end. These things are true. God has not given us the promise that there will be, uh, that the United States will endure to the end, or Germany, or South Africa, or China. He's not given us the promise that our own families will endure to the end. Who knows if there will be Wolfmullers on the earth when Jesus comes back? But he has given us this promise that there will be Christians, those who are called by his name, those who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the light of the Son of God, those whose sins are forgiven, who are waiting for the redemption that belongs to them through the blood of Jesus. I will build my church, says Jesus, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this is good for us and comforting. I mean, especially when we look at the church and compare it to the institutions of this world, we're tempted to think that the church is right on the edge of destruction, that the church isn't going to last long, that we have to change or die. That's the slogan that pastors hear all the time. But in the midst of these temptations, Jesus comes with His comfort, with His promise, with His certainty. Fear not. From now on, you will catch men. And from now until the end of time, Jesus will continue to catch men. Just as He has caught you. And the one who has caught you will keep you. Fear not, says Jesus to Peter. And fear not, says Jesus to you. In the midst of all of the uncertainties of this life, the ups and downs, the, the choices that we make, the successes and the failures... In, in, in the midst of all of the uncertainty, there are things that are sure and unmoving. And at the top of the list is this. Jesus loves you, His church. And He will see to it that you endure to the end. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.